0: hey everybody i'm john small and i'm dan bova and from the entrepreneur media podcast network this is dirty money investigators have called it one of the biggest corruption cases
1: ever you're one of the greatest con men of all time you're the daddy of them all but what does it take to be a good con man i'm not guilty you're the one who's guilty
0: Dan, it's good to see you again.
2: Good to see you, John. Uh, As always, I'm ready to hear about people who are doing very bad things.
0: Yes. And today's subject is is a complicated figure. Dennis Kozlowski, who was the former CEO of Tyco. And if you were around in, certainly in the New York area, but really just nationally in the sort of early 2000s, this guy's name was on every tabloid newspaper for weeks and weeks and weeks with not the most flattering headlines. I was looking at some uh, Google images here, pig out, the lust tycoon, guilty, guilty, guilty. So the press hated this guy or they loved him, probably both and because he sold newspapers and he is sort of will go down in history as being Not only one of the worst white collar criminals, but one that was incredibly decadent and used his money in ways that would be considered outrageous to most people.
2: Yeah, it's it's a fascinating story Uh, when you brought his name up. uh, Yeah. Flashing to all those uh, all those headlines. And I remember those headlines loud and clear Um, and Tycho, you know. When Tyco first happened, I was like, wait, the toy company? I know. That's what, what I kept the,
0: thinking. <laughs> different Tyco. Different Tyco. Don't, 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 don't be fooled. Yeah. I still don't understand exactly what this Tyco did, but they, they made, you know, half a billion dollars. So they they are billions, they of, maybe more than that. I mean, they made billions of dollars and it was a, an incredibly successful company in the, in the nineties and the, and the eighties and, our guest today is Catherine Neal, who wrote a book about Dennis Kozlowski called Taking Down the Lion, the Triumphant Rise and Tragic Fall of Tycho's Dennis Kozlowski. And it was interesting to talk to Katherine because she had kind of a nuanced take on this guy. She doesn't think he's uh, all like as bad as the press would have you believe.
2: Yes, yes. For Dennis, it seems like timing is everything, as she will explain.
0: Yes, and this guy had the worst timing. He also was not the greatest decision maker when it came to how to spend his money. The excesses of the way he spent his money are questionable. I will just leave you with a few tidbits. Well, there's the $6,000 shower curtain for one, and then there is the sculpture, the ice sculpture that he created that, would, that was peeing vodka. And those are just some of the... Some of the ways that Mr. Kozlowski spent his excesses of money.
2: So somewhere there's someone who runs a frat who just heard that and goes, that's a great idea.
0: (laughs) That is a good idea. I don't know if I would trust that vodka, but, um, but it was certainly a great idea. So anyway, without further ado, we bring you the story of Dennis Kozlowski. Here's Catherine Neal. Katherine Neal, welcome to Dirty Money. Hi, thanks for having me. It's time to talk about Dennis Kozlowski. This guy is notorious in the annals of white-collar crime and decadent CEOs. Maybe let's start at the beginning. Like he did not come from means, right? He was a he had humble beginnings. Can you tell us a little bit about the early Dennis Kozlowski? Mm-hmm.
1: He grew up in Newark, New Jersey. Neither of his parents were college educated or in professional positions. They grew up in a four room tenement apartment, a railroad style. So four narrow rooms, not four bedrooms, four rooms total. Mm. um, Heated with an old coal stove that they, he and his father had to carry coal up from the basement of the apartment building to heat the apartment Um, he shared a bedroom with his two younger sisters he slept on a cot growing up that was that's where he slept so so yeah from that background to where he was financially when he was the CEO of Tyco was a dramatic change of lifestyle
2: yeah you could say that
1: (laughs) you could say that right yeah and then a dramatic shift again when he was a, yeah. an inmate in a New York state prison. So, big
2: shift. Back on a cot, I guess. Yes, back say. on a cot, yeah. So, I guess maybe could you give us a the quick, if he had a sort of time in his life where he was doing uh, legitimate work and how he got into a position to be able to do the things that he did, which uh, we'll get into.
1: Well, I did. I, I spent... Two and a half years researching um, the book that I wrote about Dennis Kozlowski. He graduated from Seton Hall University with a degree in accounting 1968, I believe. And his first position was of an internal auditor with SCM Corporation. He stayed there a few years, moved to a company in Boston, then another company in New Hampshire before he was recruited by Tyco in 1975.
0: What was Tyco? What was Tyco?
1: Tyco at the time was a relatively small company with a variety of different businesses, all kind of scientific based. It was it was started by a PhD, a scientist. At one time it was called Tyco Laboratories. And then it grew because of Kozlowski's predecessors in the CEO spot. The company grew through acquisition primarily. They did have organic growth, of course, as well, but they would purchase hundreds over the year, hundreds and hundreds of other companies and, and bring them in to the Tyco umbrella. So it was a conglomerate of businesses. All of the businesses that they owned were kind of not glamorous businesses. Mm-hmm. Pipes and valves, electronics. Uh, one of the companies that you might recognize just by their name was ADT Security. That mm-hmm. was uh, one they of do, the They do security in my that,
0: house. I've got ADT. Yeah,
1: yeah. one <laughs> of the acquisitions that Tyco made that was made during the years that Kozlowski was the CEO. So that's, that's what they did. They ran a variety of different types of businesses, some of them smaller, some of them very large.
0: So how was he able to grow that business from, like you said, a modest business to the behemoth that it became?
1: When he started with the company in 75, the company had revenue of around $20 million. So relatively small company based in New Hampshire. And by the time, by the end of his um, tenure as CEO, It was a $40 billion a year company operating in over 100 countries in the world. So a significant growth over the 27 years that he was with Tyco. The growth during during the 10 years that Kozlowski was CEO was a combination of organic growth of the companies that they had and acquisitions. One of his gifts as a, a manager is the ability to look at a company their financials and to um, acquire them, bring them in and make them profitable in a very short amount of time, which is a lot harder to do than it sounds. If you look at the track record of acquisitions, but he had just a long run of very successful profitable acquisitions when he was the CEO of the company. Uh, Yeah. I I think as I recall, the company acquired about a thousand other companies during the 10 years he was CEO, which is a lot of acquisitions to manage. I tried to find, I don't even know where I could have found this information when I was researching the book to see if I could find anyone who has been directly involved in that many acquisitions. Mm. And, and you know, I, I can't really find any other manager, CEO or company that was that aggressive about acquiring other companies. So a lot of the growth was through acquiring other companies and making them more profitable than they were before they were brought into the yeah. Taika umbrella.
2: Knowing what he would get into later from your research, was was this all on the up and up? Was he pulling any tricks to show that they were profitable or did he actually create profitable companies?
1: He actually did create Profitable companies. One of the reasons I even started looking into this case, Tyco is often lumped in with companies like Enron, Right, WorldCom, HealthSouth, Adelphia. You know, we had that just that run of huge corporate scandals in the early two thousands, and and Tyco happened in that same time frame. But uh, I, I teach business ethics courses to business students and. I found myself every semester as I talked about the Tyco case feeling like I didn't really understand fully what happened because there are some significant differences between Tyco and companies like Enron and WorldCom. One of the most significant differences is that Tyco never went bankrupt and never even came close to going bankrupt. Mm. At the conclusion of the scandal, there wasn't even a material restatement on any of their financials. So, you know, I looked at that and, and that's a big difference when you compare it to the other big corporate scandals at that time where there was just wide scale and massive fraud in that in the financial statements were completely fraudulent. That wasn't the case with Tyco. One other big difference in this case was that generally white collar crime like this large scale corporate fraud would be prosecuted by a U.S. attorney, SEC, uh, but that wasn't the case with Kozlowski and the CFO of Tyco at the time who was also prosecuted in the same trial. They were prosecuted by a local district attorney, the Manhattan District Attorney, and that's under the, the state laws of New York, which is very different than being prosecuted under, under federal laws, which is what you would normally see, in which is which what happened at Enron and WorldCom and other of the large corporate scandals. So it were those differences that kind of pulled me in to take a look at this case. And so to answer your question, the growth was real. The, mm. the 10 years of impressive growth they had for the 10 years that Kozlowski was CEO, they had 40 consecutive quarters where they exceeded earnings goals, mm. which is impressive. you wow. know. And, and, that, and that turned out to be real. There was no, no fraud involved there.
2: Yeah, we, we've spoken to so many people who are experts on uh, Ponzi schemes that uh, it's interesting to talk to someone who actually... Uh, was well, good at his
0: job. Is, <laughs>
1: right, and you know, I talked to a lot of people who worked at, worked at Tyco at the time, people who were on the board of directors at the time, and according to everyone, he was the hardest working guy in the company. That was the, the general take on him was that he, he earned it, you know? He, yeah. he, he started off... Uh, as I mentioned in accounting and internal audit, but they very quickly moved him into operations. And he, I think when he was even still in his twenties was heading up some of the larger corporations. And, uh, the reason that, that he advanced, what moved up the corporate ladder ladder so quickly was he did have this aggressive growth mentality. That was what he was all about and the, and the board liked that. So he, he kept, uh, moving up the ranks until he they named him COO and then ultimately CEO. So when did
0: things start to go south for Mr. Kozlowski?
1: Well, very quickly. He became CEO in 1992. And then he had 10 years where everything seemed to go his way. You know, everyone's happy. The board's happy. Employees are happy. Shareholders are happy. Tyco had been a little known company, you know, up in New Hampshire, but during those years with the um, exponential growth, and they actually made an effort to seek out more public attention. They, you know, they thought that the stock was undervalued. So, you know, Kozlowski would end up on cnbc or somewhere and, and on magazine covers, seeking out attention for the company hoping that that would have a, a positive impact on on the value of the stock and so everything's going their way until 2001 the end of 2001 uh where there was just a a, a list of things that went wrong suddenly and simultaneously uh, Well, recession in 2001. So that was the first time that the company hadn't benefited from a booming economy. You know, he had, he, you know, he was fortunate to have the 1990s to grow a company. It it was good timing for him in that way. Uh, But then we hit a recession. Then we had the terrorist attacks in September of 2001. And and as you recall, the stock market took a beating um, following that. So Tyco stock was among the stocks that uh, had a, had a, took a hit as a result of that. In 2001, the company made its largest acquisition ever. Uh, CIT Group, which is a financial company, which was kind of out of uh, character for Tyco to acquire a company like that. They generally stuck pretty closely to certain types of businesses, but um, Koslowski wanted a financing arm. I, I think in uh, to kind of emulate GE, GE Capital at the time. So they acquired CIT and that acquisition started to um, go very poorly. Losing money, the recession didn't help, the interest rates didn't help. So that acquisitions go poorly. And so suddenly after 10 years of everybody being happy with the performance of the CEO of the company, um, Everyone starts to get a little unhappy. There, there were some questionable issues um, among board members and among board members and management. Um, over the 10 years when everything was going very well, there was less and less oversight by the board. They liked how everything was going. So they provided very little oversight for their CEO and that's the way he liked it as well. You know, he, yeah. he, he didn't like the the bureaucracy of having to go through anyone else before he could make a decision. He just liked to move quickly and um, with little oversight. For example, at that point, by the, by the end of his time as CEO, he had spending authority from the board in writing of two hundred million dollars per transaction without having to get approval from anyone else. Mm. So he could buy make any capital expenditure, he could buy a company, whatever. You know, so they trusted him pretty fully to make decisions without having to go through the board.
0: Right, and, and he spent his money.
1: Thirty million dollars to build a mansion in Boca Raton, acquiring homes in Nantucket and Colorado and just loose change $16 million for Endeavor, a vintage yard. But when things started going poorly, uh, Tyco stock price started to drop. Everyone's starts to become a little more involved. Yeah. And a little more unhappy. People start questioning him and questioning decisions. Management starts looking a little uncertain about the direction of the company. They made a couple of wishy washy decisions. And then something completely unrelated to Tycho happened to Kozlowski personally that really changed the course of everything. In June of 2002, now remember the timing here Enron declared bankruptcy in December 2001, WorldCom declared bankruptcy in June of 2002. Those were the two largest bankruptcies in history at the time. And so in June 2002, Kozlowski is suddenly indicted for sales tax evasion charges by the Manhattan District Attorney.
0: For, for the paint, some paintings, right, right, some
1: purchases of art where the city of New York is saying that he didn't pay the use tax or sales tax on that art. The Manhattan yeah, like District the, uh, Attorney's uh, Office was investigating galleries that were helping customers avoid sales taxes. Kozlowski had purchased $13 million worth of paintings, including a Renoir and Monet for the Tyco apartment. But prosecutors said he had some of them shipped to Tyco's offices in New Hampshire, a state without sales tax. They were then trucked back to New York. So he's indicted on sales tax evasion charges, unrelated to his role as CEO of Tyco. But when he informed the Tyco board of those charges, They immediately ended his time as CEO. Now, my personal belief, if this had happened a year earlier when everything was still booming and things were going great and they were incredibly happy with him, I don't know that it would have resulted in his termination. I think they might have let it play out and, you know, have supported him through that time. But they were already unhappy.
0: Kick him when him. he's down, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly.
1: Already- so basically, it was like, well, this gives us an excuse to to cut him loose right now, and and that's what they did. Now to make this more complicated, a year prior in two thousand one, when things were still booming and they loved Dennis Koslowski, the board became concerned because he had never had an employment agreement with the company. He could have left at any time. He had no obligation to stay. And they thought it would be good for the company. Um, it would provide reassurances to shareholders if they signed some subty- type of retention agreement with him that would guarantee his presence at the company for a number of years. So in 2001, he signed a retention agreement that had, in my opinion, outrageous terms. This retention agreement, I think it was for eight years, and said if you stay for eight years, you've got a golden parachute of near a half a billion dollars. Wow. Half a billion. Not bad. So so that's if he stays the eight years or if he left any time before that, if they let him go before the end of that term, um, he would still get that golden parachute, which is not atypical. You see executives leave and get a big payout. The only way that they would not owe him that golden parachute was if he was convicted of a felony that was injurious to the company. That was the for cause clause of that agreement. So after they let him go because of the sales tax evasion charges, which, by the way, were dropped. So, you know, damage is already done, but those charges were dropped ultimately anyway. But they figured out, or it was at least his argument, that they still owed him
0: Half a billion. The, the, the,
1: money. the that payout under that agreement because he wasn't convicted of a felony that was injurious to the company and that's when they started this big internal investigation uh, brought in a high-profile attorney to start the investigation and that's where they discovered the evidence that they would give to the Manhattan district attorney's office that resulted in the prosecution now unlike in some of the other big, scandals, he was not prosecuted for fraudulent financial statements. The biggest charge that he was prosecuted for was grand larceny.
0: What is that?
1: Grand larceny is theft of a big amount and just stealing money. That was what he was convicted of. And the way that they said he stole the money was in the form of bonuses. Now, according to the prosecutor, these were bonuses that should never have been paid. According to the defendants, these were bonuses that were due to them under the terms of a written incentive compensation plan that had been adopted by the board. Uh, Between him and the CFO, there were four bonuses that they were questioning that added up to $150 million between the CFO and CEO. Um, And the way that the plan is written uh, the CFO got half of what the CEO got. So it was $100 million to Kozlowski and $50 million to the CFO. And, that, and that's what, those that, were the big
2: charges that he was prosecuted for. And that that, that was his bonus, not his
1: uh, annual salary. That is correct. Uh, his annual salary, the only guaranteed amount was a million dollars. Almost everything else he earned as CEO was in- the bonus. Uh, the form of a pay-for-performance compensation plan, hmm. which which he is he was a huge proponent of. He thinks that that is the um, the best way to run a company. The best way to motivate people is through a pay-for-performance system with no caps, so people can earn as much as they want based on performance. And he he lived under the same type of compensation plan as CEO.
0: Yeah, I mean, so during this whole this this next prosecution and and the company kind of turning over all this material to the Manhattan DA, a lot of things start getting revealed. I don't know if they're leaked to the press or what's going on. Maybe it's a kind of PR campaign against him. But that's where like this story kind of takes on a whole different life because it's happening in New York. You said it's happening during sort of the this time of corporate takedowns, Enron, WorldCom, etc. cetera. And it turns out that Dennis Kozlowski, not only did he pay himself these crazy bonuses, but he was using the money in very extravagant ways. Talk about some of the things that they uncovered or that was kind of talked about in the press.
1: It will let me just insert here after the work I did, I believe that they earned those bonuses yeah. and there's a written compensation policy and they were processed through the normal course of business and they were reflected on the uh, books and records of the company and they were audited audited by PWC. So You know, I I disagree that they that they had any intent to steal money from the company in the form of bonuses. I will say, (laughs) yes, the decadence, the way that he very publicly spent huge sums of money was problematic. Like I said, I don't I concluded that I don't think that that he should have been charged with crimes or convicted of crimes. However, I do believe he was guilty of exercising poor judgment uh, you could make an argument that he was not a good steward of company assets. You know, one of the big mistakes, and I and I would think he would feel the same looking looking back. One of the one of the big items that came out during this investigation, yes, and and was uh, was given to the media, was a, a nineteen million dollar apartment that sat on Central Park East, and. It was paid for by Tyco, but it was titled in Kozlowski's name, and that's because the co-op board of that building won't allow a corporate right. owner. So he allowed his it to be titled in his name personally. I just think that's that's poor judgment, you know, because yeah. then it looks like the company bought paid the apartment, pay, bought an apartment for you. Right then. And this is where some of the decadence comes in. He hired a decorator to come in and redo that apartment on the company. You know, the company's paying for this. And those, the choices of items that went into that apartment were, you know, and I've been thinking most people's opinions, outrageous. The one you hear about most often is the $6,000 shower curtain, Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 what, a, and what, a long, what could it have been car. made?
0: What could, yeah. it? what could a $6,000 shower curtain even be made of? Was it made of like, yeah, what do you know what? about the shower curtain?
1: I have only seen photographs of it. They were photographs from the, you know, the, I think it was the New York city police who ended up and went in and took it down during, <laughs> you know, right. when it was being prosecuted, it looked like a pretty normal shower curtain. I have no idea why it was just like, kind of
0: like an Andy like, Warhol like original. <laughs> it, was,
1: it was just fabric. I mean, it was a fabric. And, it, and, and in fact, it was hanging not in the parts of the apartment where people stayed. It was in what had previously been like the, uh, the quarters for uh, someone who would be working in the apartment, not oh someone who owned the apartment. You know, like so it, uh, according to Kozlowski, he never even saw it.
2: I signed off on a decorator to uh, decorate uh, the Taiko apartment. And beyond that, that was my involvement. I, The first time I heard about that shower curtain, the first time was uh, after I was out of the company and I read about it in a newspaper and I was calling around asking, where's this shower curtain? But to this day, I wouldn't know what if it fell on me. So.
1: He really got caught up in uh, or, or lost sight of what is a lot of money. He was making so much money that it didn't occur to him that spending... million on an apartment where he would stay two nights a month was, was an excess expenditure for the company and and unnecessary because to him, $30 million didn't seem like a lot of money. Right. Um, right. I mean, and that was true in so many ways. The other thing besides the shower curtain that you hear so much about connected to Koslowski and he cannot seem to disconnect it from himself is the birthday party that he threw for his his wife at the time it was like his new wife he had just remarried and he threw a, I think a 40th birthday party for her within a month or two after they had just gotten married on the Italian island of Sardinia and it was a two million dollar two million plus dollar birthday party. Um, he flew in Jimmy Buffett to play at the party. It was a kind of a Roman orgy-themed party. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the video. I've seen the
0: the video. So there's like, well, there's the famous Um, David sculpture peeing.
1: Vodka, vodka. I mean, it was. That's not a bad idea. It's.
0: (laughs) Michelangelo might have approved.
1: You know, (laughs) in in taking it back to the context of that time frame when he went to trial. You know, when everyone, the public is looking at corporate executives as crooks and overpaid, right? living these ridiculous lifestyles. He became the poster child for all things corporate greed. So,
2: uh, you know, getting back to what you said earlier, it wasn't like he stole a bunch of money and then did all this crazy stuff with it. Like this was his money that he was spending in an insane way, you could say, but it was his money.
1: Well, yes, except that birthday party, the complication there is that, or it was a whole weekend of, of activities. One of the activities was the birthday party. Tied to that birthday party that same weekend were meetings, Tyco corporate meetings. Uh-huh. So there were people at the birthday party who also went to corporate meetings. And so his instructions, and this is all from the the trial transcripts, his instructions to the people at Tyco were any personal expenses get charged to me, any business expenses get charged to Tyco. Mm
0: -hmm. And it
1: ended up being, I think, you know, maybe a million and a half, 1.2, 1.3 million charged to Kozlowski personally for the birthday party and another million dollar charge to Tyco for what was um, considered business expenses? Looking back, it becomes very easy when you're investigating and when you're a prosecutor to just say, "Oh, look, he had the company pay for mm-hmm. his wife's birthday party. This extravagant birthday party." Um, I will tell you that it, it, you know, he he was tried twice, two huge criminal trials. Uh, the first one lasted for six months at the conclusion of which was a mistrial. And then they tried him again. The second one lasted five months, and that was the conclusion of the second trial um, where he and the CFO were convicted. During both of those trials, they played, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes worth of video from the birthday party. And I'm not really sure why, because there were no charges in the indictment related to the birthday party You have jurors there who don't understand anyone making that kind of money and that kind of lifestyle. And so you show you know all of the most ridiculous things, you know, the birthday party.
0: women on platters, yeah, there was like naked women on platters. so
1: I mean, that was you know, he, sitting in that courtroom. It's hard to believe that he stood a chance, you know, yeah. because it, it it all just looks like he must have done something wrong, you know, like you're throwing money around yeah. like that.
2: Right. I mean, John, you've pulled. Uh, I've seen some of your expense reports. You, yeah. you order a latte and you get a, an extra shot of espresso in it. What? Do you-
1: well,
0: <laughs> yeah, he was onto something. I have stole a few rolls of toilet paper from the from the company bathroom. Look, he did it to an extreme, but so many corporations do this, right? Like this is not an uncommon practice. Not to at like, all. Yeah, I'm gonna gonna expense this uh, crazy dinner that we're having tonight because this, we talked about business, you know.
1: Oh right, and, and that has been true for decades. You know, right? Like, that's uh, I true just true would like decades. to add for anyone from the
2: IRS listening, I've never done that. <laughs>
0: never, yeah, it's true. We should
2: well,
1: be careful. That gets Sorry, Bill. That does become part of the issue, though. You know, if if uh, businesses are are counting that as a business expense, like that is that really, you know, is that a legit business expense in the eyes of the IRS? You know, right. like that's, you know,
0: how long does he go to jail? He is convicted ultimately. He was
1: convicted. He was sentenced to eight and a third to twenty five years in a New York State prison. Mm. which is quite different than, you know, you hear about people going to club club. bed, like Martha Stewart, where she's, you know, playing tennis and going to yoga classes. He was in a hardcore New York state prison. I visited him there. That's the first place that I met him was when he was still in prison. And it was, um, it was a real prison, you know, with with violent offenders right there with him. So
0: what did you think of him?
2: Yeah, I was going to
0: ask did
1: he,
2: well, did
0: he it, was really, it, or,
1: yeah. it was interesting you know the the way that I connected with him to begin with was as I mentioned I, I talk about this case and, and and all the other big cases in a uh, in business ethics classes with students and I didn't understand this case so I did something pretty random I decided it would be great to better understand the case and who knows it better than him. So I sent a, a letter to the prison where he was housed at the time. I, you know, I just looked it up online and, and sent this unsolicited letter. And, you know, the odds of it getting to him or him responding were, were pretty slim. So I stuck it in the mail and didn't think anything about it. And some weeks later, I went into our department office at the university and, and the person who works there said, hey, there's a letter from a prison in your mailbox. And so he had written back. What I had asked is if he would be willing to answer some questions for me. And, and he wrote back just a short one-page letter, handwritten, saying, be happy to. But the only way that he could communicate was through letters. You know, he didn't have any other access. So I wrote some letters he would send back, handwritten responses. Um, and then ultimately he said, if you would be willing to travel, I could get you on my visitor list and you could come and we could probably cover a lot more ground in person. So that's how I ended
0: up. Did he expense the prison for that travel? Yeah. The prison so will I take flew care of it. He was in
1: upstate New York. So I flew up and went to the prison. Odd thing though, because for my purposes, I just wanted to gather information, but I wasn't allowed to take anything in with me. No notes, no pencil, no paper, that's no hard. nothing. So yeah. I had to, uh, memorize. <laughs> memorize. I did. I had to study for the visit. So I went in and, you know, I know what he looks like because there's, you know, a thousand pictures of him in the media and there's recorded interviews, which I had watched. I mean, he's a big guy.
0: Kind of a daddy Warbucks type guy. Yeah. He is big bald, bald guy. Big, he is, bald guy.
1: He is bald, yes. So I kind of expected this big booming personality, you know, just like the guy that had led this company and grown it so aggressively and, you know, CEO type. So I expected a, a big, loud kind of Big personality. To be honestly, he was much more soft-spoken than I expected. Granted, I did meet him when he was in prison, so I, you know I don't know if the context changes. But, um, but I've that is who he is. He's he's a he's a he's just a, a genuinely nice person to talk to, and um, he was incredibly helpful and cooperative. And uh, when I wrote the book about his experience and um, he does not make excuses for the things that happen. And so I asked him like, like, who are you angry with? Are you angry with anyone? And his answer was no, he has, he holds no resentment toward anyone. At least that's what he's expressed to me, which I think is kind of surprising. You know, I think for something so horrific to happen to your life, I would think it would be easy to blame someone but it, it, to me, he has never blamed anyone than himself. Uh, and, and, you know, he blames himself for some poor decisions, for uh, failing to protect himself, failing to protect the company. But, so he, he gets
2: this, um, this jail sentence. What about like financial penalties? Like when he gets out of jail, does he have any money or what would what, what happen?
1: I will say that since I wrote the book, that is the most, the most frequent question that I am asked is how much money does he have left? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the answer is I do, I have no idea, but I will tell you there were huge financial penalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, he- I guess had, I was asking, does, did the crime pay? No, it absolutely did not. He ultimately worked for free as the CEO of Tyco for 10 years. I mean, he mm. he had to disgorge all of that. He paid a hundred million dollars back to the company in restitution, which was the amount that he was convicted of stealing. He paid, I think, seventy-five million in criminal fines to the Manhattan District Attorney's office, and he paid all of these. By the way, he paid wow. these, which is, which is not necessarily common amongst fines that uh, that are assessed toward yeah. um, people convicted of crimes, but he's paid them all. And then the biggie. In New York, there is a doctrine called the faithless servant doctrine that says if an employee is unfaithful to their employer, they must pay back any form of compensation to the employer from the first date that they were disloyal. So once you're convicted of stealing from the company, you can't really argue that you're loyal to the company. So from the date of the first bonus that he was convicted of stealing under this doctrine in the state of New York, um, Tyco sued him. This is a a civil suit for all forms of compensation from that date, uh, which added up to, uh, somewhere around a half a billion dollars. Wow! And that piece was ongoing for 12 or 13 years until Mm. they ultimately, uh, settled it you know, just a few years ago. Um, I believe that most of the time, uh, Tycho was making sure that he didn't have hidden assets somewhere, you know, right. but I, but I do know that he did sell assets that he had, um, and all of that went to Tyco in, in that lawsuit.
0: So he, so what's he been up to? I mean, does he, it seems like a pretty good businessman. I mean, certainly has a nose. He's, a, he's
1: an incredibly smart business person. I, I, just in the times I spent interviewing him for the for the book, um, I learned so much about business. He, you know, he he is uh, he's a very good businessman. And since he has been out of prison and off of parole, he has been very quietly doing some business consulting, um, leading a, a very private life he's remarried um and i think he spends a lot of time with his wife and family
0: um dan we should hire this guy sounds good i know <laughs>
1: he, he is a fascinating person to speak with just in the life experiences you know what which are quite different than my own so you know just talking to someone who makes 150 million dollars a year year after year and that and the The things that that allows you to do in your life and, and, and just the, the business decisions he's made and the successes that he's had. It's, he's a, an interesting guy to talk to and and super smart.
2: But I think maybe then instead of a half a billion, maybe go a quarter billion. I don't know if uh, I've got that kind of change (laughs) laying around. Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah. 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 He, uh. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the consequences to him of this um, life changing, to say the very least, as compared to where it would have been, you know, it's not comparable.
0: Have you kept in touch with
1: him? I do hear from him. Yes, I do. I do hear from him. Well, I got to.
2: I gotta say, it's, it's so interesting, like hearing you really tell his story, because as you said, at up the top, he tends to get lumped in with the, with the Enrons and, and, you know, just incredible, incredible, uh, you know, crimes, uh, and, and deceit. And, you know, as you explain it, he doesn't really seem to fall into that category at all. That's that must suck kind of for him to be lumped in
0: with them. Yes, I think so.
1: I think that's incredibly frustrating. And that is based solely on timing. You know,
0: yeah, if, if
1: this had happened five years earlier or five years later, it would be a lot easier to parse out the differences between those situations and yeah. what happened at Tyco. But because of the timing, it's just all of those people and companies are forever intertwined just because of the, of the time at which it happened.
2: So you, you mentioned a couple of times your uh, you're teaching and you're teaching, you know, talking about business ethics. How do you feel about the ethics of uh, the the next generation of business leaders and entrepreneurs? Like, what kind of sense do you get from them? How important are ethics to them? Does this generation with so, like, do they get numb to it and it's just like a thing that happens or are they, you know, as outraged as a lot of
1: us are when we hear about these kind of uh no i do see differences some of which are related to technology how the world is different now than it was you know when i was an undergraduate business student you, you know the things simple things like um when we think of stealing something our background is when you steal something is something tangible and you know you're stealing it but they've grown up in a world where so many assets are intangible. It doesn't feel as much like stealing, mm-hmm. you know, and if you can have access to it and you don't pay for it, and that goes into the whole world of IP, you know, and I think that that is just such a, a difficult area because a lack of acknowledgement and respect for copyright, trademark, you know, things that are, you know, and, and I think that's only going to be a growing problem. you know, with, with so much business and other things happening online, on social media.
0: Well, Catherine, Neil, thank you so much for talking to us today. The book is called Taking Down the Lion, the Triumphant Rise and Tragic Fall of Tycho's Dennis Kozlowski. It's a fascinating book, fascinating conversation. Thank you so much.
1: No, thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Dirty Money is a production of the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network. It is produced by Dan Bova and John Small with music by Rich Bova. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening.